The purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their health care practitioner before attempting any treatment. Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Why, even as medicine improves, are we becoming less healthy? Why are American women dying in childbirth more now than 10 years ago? Why do we grow fatter the more we diet? Why have so many attempts to save the environment backfired? These are some of the questions that journalist Nathaniel Johnson explores in his book, All Natural, A Skeptic's Quest to Discover if the Natural Approach to Diet, Childbirth, Healing, and the Environment Really Keeps Us Healthier and Happier. Nathaniel Johnson is an award-winning journalist who has written features for Harper's, New York, and Outside Magazine, and produced stories for National Public Radio and This American Life. He studied with Michael Pollan at the UC Berkeley Graduate School of Journalism. He's here today on Health Watch and also at Powell's on Hawthorne on Thursday night. Welcome to Health Watch, Nathaniel Johnson. Oh, it's so great to be here. Well, let's let's start with you, we mentioned all these conundrums that are in all natural, and and you f- you sort of frame the the conundrums around a tension that is exists between nature and technology, and trying to parse out what would be uh, an evidence based or reasonable approach to various um, difficult questions. Could you articulate that that nature technology um, uh, issue for you? Sure. I mean, for me. This this idea that that what's natural is healthier. Um, that I have a lot of sympathy for this idea, and it goes back to my family. I grew up in this this family that you know there's a lot of kale, there was a lot of brown rice in this family, and and it was a really lovely childhood. And um, and yet at the same time, um, there are ways that nature is, is fundamentally dangerous. And living in this family, I had a front row seat to see the ways in which. Trusting in nature sometimes backfired, and so um, and so, I really wanted to start looking at where what where the natural really was healthier, and where the technological was really healthier. Um, so the upsides and downsides of both, or exactly. taking one of them too far or not far enough. Exactly, and there's and I think there's are examples on both sides uh, where you can go too far in, in either direction. Well, one of the most compelling parts of the book for me was about childbirth. And you were um, struggling with these questions yourself. Your wife was pregnant when you were writing this, and you were trying to figure out, well, what do I want to do? What tr-? And I know a lot of people listening either have gone through this or are going through. Uh, there's so many choices. There isn't one sort of tradition anymore of, yeah. of how to do childbirth. And, you know, like we have our underwriter, Alma Midwifery, and, and people who are obsessed with Downton Abbey with uh, stuff that was happening right. lately, and I won't do any spoilers. But um, but it was fascinating to read this section because you were talking about statistics, about how the invention of C-section is one of the main reasons why we uh, have such a reduction in infant mortality in the last 100 years. But at the same time, maternal death rates have gone up quite a bit in the last 20 or 30 years, and that is also because of C-section. Right. So the that, double-edged sword. So tell us double-edged both... Double-edged scalpel, maybe. Right. So tell us tell us the story of C-section and, and the upside, you know, is the technological upside of what it accomplished, and then tell us the downside of why C-section is now actually 
causing a problem and and for certain people right so let me just preface it by saying I, i went into this with very little knowledge and i just started doing my my journalistic thing and calling every expert i know and and moving who else is is working on this and eventually working my way through this you know making those 200 phone calls um so this expertise comes comes from others i'm approaching this as a journalist um but what I found was that there's situations where uh, the C-section is really life-saving. You know, uh, uh, placenta previa, where the placenta grows over um, the opening, so the the baby can't go through, and there would be this tremendous bleed if if um, there weren't some technological workaround. There are a lot of these cases where, in the past, um, when C-sections were really dangerous, uh, it would it would almost be certain death for the mother and sometimes the baby as well. Uh, and so so it's this very simple, very efficient technology. And it's so easy and safe in the moment of birth that we've kind of let it get away from us. And we've because it's so simple and so efficient, some people have sort of said, well, let's just replace this inefficient technology of birth itself with the C-section. And so we've gotten to this strange situation where about one-third of all births now are happening via cesarean section. And one of the first things that I found when I started making these phone calls that really blew me out of the water was that the maternal mortality rate, uh, at least in California, is going up. And it looks like that's the case around the country as well. And You had the statistic that it had doubled since 1998, which is a pretty remarkable increase. Yeah. I mean, we're still talking about small numbers here, fortunately, of, of actual deaths. But those deaths are just the tip of the iceberg for this whole host of problems, severe maternal injuries, uh, women having heart attacks during birth. That's gone up 80% in the last decade. So all of these things, and these things affect many more women than the, the handful that actually die. Um, and there is a portion of this that's definitively linked to uh, the increase in cesarean sections. Um, so, so people are starting to work on this. Unfortunately, a lot of the a lot of the answers that the mainstream health system brings to this are reactive answers. Let's train our our doctors to respond faster than ever to hemorrhages, that type of stuff, which is great. But if you step back and look at the big picture people are also starting to say, maybe we should just see if we can reduce the number of C-sections that we're doing. Well, I mean, the statistics are, are amazing. So, you know, prior to the 80s, you have the statistic that at the turn of the century, between 600 and 900 women would die in childbirth for every 100,000 births. And that C-section and other, other interventions have lowered that from 600 to 900 down to eight. Right. But now that it's going up again... Uh, in all natural, you, you say that it actually would be safer to give birth in 1978 than now, which is such an interesting thing to think about. And so counter to uh, all of the sort of um, trust we put into this idea of inexorable medical progress. Yeah, I think, I think that's sort of the ruling ideology of America, right? We, we make progress. We invent new things. We move forward. Things get better every day. And, and and yes, this is one example, and I, I stumbled across a few of these paradoxes where our attempts to make life better are actually making it worse in some ways. Well, another thing that you mentioned in the book is uh, an assessment of 
different practices of medicine and how much of what they do is based on evidence right. versus just a tradition that's passed down without an examination of the tradition. And obstetrics um, ended last. In, in, in other words... Out of all the specialties. Yeah, so. and so in other words, it's the specialty that had the least amount of data to support most of its choices. Can you, can you talk about some of the other maybe less uh, crucial for life or death um, issues that happen all the time in obstetrics but really don't really have any basis for them one way or the other as far as we know? Well, the big one is uh, fetal heart monitors. Uh, this is a technology that again, intuitively just makes so much sense. You want to pay attention to what's going on with the fetus. You can't, we can't see it, and so that makes people really nervous. So let's listen to the heart and see if there's anything wrong. Um, but when they actually did the randomized controlled trials on this, uh, they found that it was really useful for women that had dangerous pregnancies, the high-risk situations. But for normal low-risk situations, it didn't improve outcomes at all. And in fact, it actually led to more cesarean sections because there were false alarms. And yet, despite this evidence, it's really hard for hospitals and doctors to let go of them because it, it, that's, the, that's the paradigm. It makes sense that this technology, seeing more, gives you more certainty. At least it seems that way, and it's very hard for us to accept that it might not be that way. Is that true also with ultrasounds, or are ultrasounds in a different category in terms of that? Because I know that's something that's not, that's just routine now at this point, right? right? Well, the thing with ultrasounds, I think I think you can make a parallel. Um, ultrasounds don't actually improve the uh, rate of survival. Um, it makes sense, again, you want to go in and look and see if there's anything wrong with the baby. But what they're really useful for is Make, being able to make that decision if you want to end the pregnancy. Um, if there's something really wrong, um, then then people have abortions sometimes. Um, and they're not actually useful for improving the health if you weren't going to make that decision. Um, and so, again, that's a, I, I think that that's a good technology, but people should be having that uh, discussion ahead of time and really realizing what's at stake rather than this is something that we all are going to do and then um, and then have to deal with the consequences later if they should uh, come up. We're talking today with journalist and author Nathaniel Johnson about his book, All Natural, A Skeptic's Quest to Discover if the Natural Approach to Diet, Childbirth, Healing, and the Environment Really Helps Us it really keeps us healthier and happier. The subtitle's a mouthful. I apologize. It is, it is a mouthful, but it's an interesting one. So let's switch to another topic. I mean, another one is the hygiene hypothesis. And, and of course, at some point in the century or the last century, we thought that all bacteria was bad. Right. And now we know that it's much more complicated. And, and you go both into the role of breast milk and also sort of this debate around raw milk and pasteurization. So tease our listeners a little bit about uh, the dilemma there because some of them are going really there's a dilemma around right. around raw milk and and pasteurization yeah so to do this i uh, i told this story of this farmer up in canada who's this biodynamic german farmer who has this beautiful farm and he produces raw milk for uh, for this little community of Waldorf school parents and, and immigrants, interestingly, a lot of the a lot of the people that want raw milk are people who grew up drinking it and uh, and want their kids to have the same lifestyle. And uh, 
and his um, he understands that when you produce raw milk, you are taking a risk. That there's uh, there's the you're not killing everything in it, you're not sterilizing it. So sometimes uh, dangerous bacteria could get in there. But you're also um, you're also working with an ecosystem instead. So if, his idea is that if you can work with nature and create a, a healthy ecosystem on the farm, then you create a healthy ecosystem in the milk and ultimately a healthy ecosystem in the people that are drinking the milk. And um, there, was, there was a really fascinating for me story where he, um, he got busted because this is illegal in, uh, in Ontario where he is. And right after that, he was out in the field with his uh, with his cows, and the bull charged him and gored him into the earth, and just you know, almost killed him. And I asked him after this happened, didn't this kind of make you reappraise, you know, trusting in nature? Here's this bull that you've left the horns on because you wanted it to be more natural, and it's just almost done you in. And he said something like, you know, uh, nature is dangerous, yes, but I can't control it. I have to accept that. I can only work with it and do my best. And so this is this, um, this is kind of the dilemma. And, and in, on his side of the ledger is some research that uh, if we limit our exposure to bacteria too much, that can actually lead to certain diseases. Yeah, this research is actually really strong. Uh, there's, the literature is, is mountainous. It keeps on growing. Um, and, and we're seeing this rise, this tidal wave in autoimmune disorders, asthma, allergies, uh, eczema, more dangerous autoimmune disorders like type 1 diabetes. Um, and you can see this in your own community, I'm sure, if you, if you look around and look at kids these days versus um, 20 or 30 years ago. The, the rates of allergies have really skyrocketed. And, and we think that the hygiene hypothesis is that this is related to this wall of sanitation that we've erected around ourselves and we've alienated our our microbial frenemies i call them um that can sometimes do us harm but also were incorporated into our bodies during evolution we we evolved in this microbial soup and so some of these um our immune systems expect to be there and go a little haywire when they're not there and the studies that have looked tried to pin down what which one of these bacteria is um, are essential, it's really hard to do because I think we're talking about ecosystem rather than one little, they'd like to find one little thing and bottle it and sell it to, to all of us. But, um, but what they've really found is that kids growing up on farms are protected against these autoimmune disorders. And there does seem to be something about milk that's heat labile, that's destroyed by pasteurization, um, that's protective as well. We don't know what, it's not a huge effect, um, but it's, it's interesting. Well, let me ask you a question about that and the research there. I, I looked at a couple of the larger raw milk studies, which do show that correlation. But when you looked at the data more closely, you also saw that a lot of the people were boiling their milk. Up to half of the people in some of the studies were boiling just on their own and it wasn't controlled for. Is there, is there a difference between boiling and pasteurization where something about, you know, someone just putting it on their stovetop and boiling it for 10 minutes is is um, qualitatively different than pasteurizing it? Do you know? No. Uh, it, boiling it would, would be much more severe, actually, than pasteurizing it. I mean, pasteurizing it's just for, I think, 30 seconds, heating it up, and not even quite to boiling. So, okay. Um, so that, you know, if they're boiling it on the stove, they're getting, and they're still getting the effect, they're getting it from 
the some animals or not not from the milk itself well i mean the other question might be also like are the animals grass-fed right. pastured animals versus grain-fed animals which could also play a role in immune modulation I absolutely would guess. absolutely is that is that the von mutius study that you were i don't remember at? i just remember there were two that were relatively large thousands yeah. of people and That's- i remember when i actually started looking at not the results that you saw in the media, but at the actual details yeah. that they commented in the discussion section about how many of the people were boiling. It wasn't everybody. It right. was, I think it was less than half, but it was a sizable minority. That's, in, that's a detail that I'd miss. So, yeah. so go well, on. <laughs> well, um, another thing that seemed interesting on the milk, um, component is the studies around the role of breast milk in, and at one point we thought breast milk was only to protect us from bacteria, but it looks like it might actually facilitate us, mm-hmm. um, having bacteria grow yeah. in, in our bodies. So yeah. can, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, this is a, a fascinating area of study. And there's this, this guy named Bruce German working at UC Davis, a food chemist at UC Davis, who turned me on to this. Um, and he he became interested because he started finding well they had found already that there were these strange sugars in milk called oligosaccharides very complex weird sugars and babies can't digest these sugars and he started thinking well milk comes from the mother's body she's literally breaking down her tissues to create this and so if she, if she was creating something that didn't help the baby, evolution would weed that out. So what is it about this, this strange sugar that the, the baby can't seem to derive any nutrients from that's, that's so beneficial that she goes to all this trouble to, to build it? And uh, they started trying to feed it to these different bacteria, and they found these very specific um, bacteria, specifically uh, Bifidobacteria infantis, um, just thrived on this stuff. And it has this very unique genome. It's, it's really evolved with us. And so he says, you know, this is a, an organism that the mother has recruited to babysit, essentially, and give this, this baby a good start with its, its gut ecology. And, uh, and we don't know yet, you know, may, if, if, the, if that bacteria starts in the breast itself or if, it's, if it starts in the mouth it's but at some point it gets in there and then starts thriving we're talking today with journalist and author nathaniel johnson about all natural and and nathaniel you're going to be at at hawthorne powell's on thursday so let's since this is such a fun read also not just an informative one but you 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 share a lot of family anecdotes and and uh interweave them into the narrative let's let's give our listeners a little taste of the prose um Get them to the bookstore on Thursday. <laughs> All right. Yes, it's, it's, a, it's a mix of, of memoir and science writing. And so this is the moment uh, that I kind of fell from grace, five years old, and I, I realized that my family, our, our beliefs about nature might not be absolute, that we might be wrong. Uh, and we just moved up to a small town and had gone to this uh, um, potluck. It was a warm summer evening. Casseroles and salads were spread out along the table by the water. Adults batted at mosquitoes. Children ran up and down the lakeshore in screaming waves. On a platform floating offshore, kids were playing king of the hill, forming alliances, betraying them, and splashing into the water in glorious defeat. Lake Vera is a miserable little algae farm, but at that moment it looked marvelous. I stripped down and crashed through the shallows, my pudgy little brother hard at my heels. When I reached the platform, I flopped aboard, 
then pivoted, bracing myself to take all comers. Instead of rushing me, everyone stopped. It was only at that moment that I noticed, in stark contrast to me, every other child was wearing a swimsuit. We've all experienced what I experienced next. You show up at school or at work and realize two things in quick succession. First, that you are naked, and second, that this is highly, excruciatingly inappropriate. The difference is that most people undergo this trial while dreaming. I got to live the dream. Nakedness had always been part of our household. And so this is, this is the first moment that I realized that um, the ideals that my parents had held to be self-evident, uh, others thought completely weird. Sure. That's great. Great and horrifying for you at the time. <laughs> Poor little five-year-old Nate. <laughs> That's right. Let, let's, um, let's do a, a little touch on the, the, the topic. You have a chapter on when when uh, medicine isn't the best medicine. So, I mean, that's something that's really big in the news now. It was big a little while ago about prostate screening, and now it's really big about mammograms, where sometimes the things, and this probably goes back also to fetal heart monitoring and ultrasounds, that sometimes these things that seem like they're really um, calming and reassuring us might actually be leading to more and unnecessary uh, medical interventions. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the dominant storyline with medicine is, is always more, right? More is better, more health care. How can, how can more care be bad? Um, but there, there's a lot of evidence that we're overtreated. Uh, and in fact, the, the numbers are pretty clear that more Americans are killed by too much medicine than are killed because they don't have access to medicine. Um, and so... I think I think that we've got to be really careful in terms of um, in terms of blindly accepting more when it comes to our healthcare. No, that's a that's a really good point and one that's so counterintuitive for people. I think exactly, absolutely. You know, it's it's so amazing the things that we can do now are are really mind boggling, and we should we should give modern medicine credit for that. Um, but there's a tendency to think that it it can perform miracles and that it can provide us certainty and keep us in the end from dying. Even if we don't think that consciously, there's there's this urge to believe that, I think. Well, it's interesting. That's the whole conundrum of evidence-based medicine. I think when, I, when I've looked at reviews of like the British Medical Journal or other places that have tried to assess how much of what we do is proven... And if, um, it's hard because some of the things you, you don't want to do double blind placebo studies of restarting someone's heart when they have a heart yeah. attack, right? Because that's not going to work ethically. But, but it's, I think it's somewhere around 30 to 50% has gone through the most rigorous double blind placebo studies that we do. So, and then there's another 30% with compelling evidence, but that compelling evidence is a shifting milestone where right. 30 years later, you know, hormone replacement therapy is not good for you. And it was good for everything before. Right. Yes. And it's really tricky for, um, for patients, especially to navigate, you know, the people who are versed in the healthcare system can, can understand these things a little bit, but um, it's really hard to go in and the doctor recommends that you get this prostate uh, PSA test or, or a mammogram. Um, it's really hard sometimes to pin the doctor down and, and take, make sure that they give you the 30 minutes to really talk through what are the, what are the benefits to this? What are the risks? What are the alternatives? Um, what happens if we just do this later rather than now? 
Right, and and even around the downsides of pharmaceutical medications, it's very rare that your doctor will say, "This is this could happen to one percent of people who take this for five years," for instance. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's, you know, there's this whole movement now of shared decision making, which tries to get at this problem, where, you know, we have these kind of algorithms to match. Uh, here, you have this disease, so this is the this is the pharmaceutical that we're going to throw you on, um, and that makes a lot of sense from, you know, our our shifting level of evidence. Um, whatever whatever the evidence says, that's what we'll go with, and then we'll replace it when the evidence contradicts that. But it doesn't make so much sense uh, necessarily for the individual unique patient. And so this shared decision-making is really this process of forcing that, trying to make that conversation happen between the doctor and the patient so that it's really both right for the individual patient and for the best evidence that we have. Well, unfortunately, we don't have a ton of time to go into the vaccine section, which I think for our listeners will probably be the most provocative section. But I love the fact that you grapple with the information around vaccines and actually come up with the feeling that they're, in a way, more on the natural side than on the technological side. Could you just um, maybe tease our listeners about that a little? And yeah. maybe maybe people want to hear more when they come to Powell's. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I just want to preface it by saying it's such a divisive issue that I, um, I'm really humble about it. And I, I'm totally open to more evidence. And I think the big problem is that it's, there's been this polarization and people aren't willing to talk to each other uh, about it. So, so I continue looking. But when I went out and looked at the evidence with an open mind, I kind of became convinced that vaccines were natural. You know, and this, this barrier of, of sterility that we've erected between ourselves and, and the microbial soup that we evolved in, vaccines do something to bridge that barrier. They reconnect us with our, with our old microbial friends. Uh, it's a form of communion with the natural world in a way because we used to have this exposure to the cows and the cowpox and the, uh, some protection from the smallpox. Um, now we have the same thing through these vaccines. That's really interesting. And um, with the vaccines and, and the data, you also, in all natural, you look at the incidence of the side effects because obviously all vaccines have risks and Absolutely. side effects. And you look at the, the head-to-head between the risks of the disease versus the risks of the vaccine itself. Right, exactly. Um, and that, that information is out there. And the, I mean, when you look at the risks of the vaccine, they've gotten so good. They've gotten so much better and so much less um, reactive um, that it's, uh, for a lot of them, it's like the risk of walking outside your door and, and getting shot by a drive-by or something, just extremely low risks. And um, when you, when for me at least, when I weigh that against the risks of getting the disease and getting harm from that, um, it looks like a good deal. Well, it was a pleasure having you on Health Watch today, Nathaniel. Oh, it's so much fun to be here. So we're talking today with journalist and author Nathaniel Johnson about his book, All Natural, A Skeptic's Quest to Discover if the Natural Approach to Diet, Childbirth, Healing, and the Environment Really Keeps Us Healthier and Happier. If you're interested in hearing more of Nathaniel, he's going to be at the Powell's Hawthorne on Thursday night. Stay tuned for the rest of the Monday morning radio zine.